So good afternoon, everybody. I always wait for the nod from sister up in the, there we go. Um, <clears throat> glad to see you're all still here. We're uh, entering into the heart of the retreat. We'll have a conference now. And then we're going to expose the Blessed Sacrament. And that's really the moment where you just um, give everything over to our Lord. As St. Peter said, you cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Uh, the Eucharist is, is the heart of the sacraments, you could say, the sacred heart. And so we come to Jesus' sacred heart, his Eucharistic heart, in order to give him everything and to hand everything back to him that we have received from him. Well, I have a little more penance for you. It is Lent. No? And this is a song, actually, I, I wrote while I was uh, here at the retreat house. I don't blame the sisters for it. Okay. Uh, it's a, it has a chorus that you, you cannot say it, you cannot use these words to any other human being, but you can use them for the devil. And it's called Tell the Devil. And uh, it's kind of a catchy, pithy little tune. <laughs> Here it is. He's a liar from the beginning. That's why he keeps on grinning. He wants you to keep on sinning, don't listen. They say the devil's in the details. Into your life he sails. You close your ears, and then he fails, don't listen. Oh, tell that demon where to go. Tell him he can't have your soul After all, life's an empty show Don't listen He'll offer you all earthly treasures Tempt your eyes with all life's pleasures He only wants those halfway measures Don't listen Tell the devil to go to hell Just tell that old devil to go to hell And tell the devil just where to go And tell the devil hell no The wrong road you're pursuing You don't know just what you're doing It may lead to your eternal ruin Don't listen He wants you to hate yourself Seeking only this world's wealth Put your head up on his trophy shelf do 
listen He appears as an angel of light Tempting you to take that bite Always in the middle of the night Don't listen He kicks you when you are down With idle hands just hanging around Pray to God that he may be bound Don't listen Tell the devil to go to hell Just tell that old devil to go to hell Tell the devil just where to go Tell the devil hell no Last verse, I promise. He ain't no funny figure dressed in red. Ain't got no horns upon his head. No pitchfork like they said. Don't listen. He wants to steal your heavenly reward. Take from you what you cannot afford The Hell Express don't climb on board Don't listen And tell the devil to go to hell Just tell that old devil to go to hell Tell the devil just where to go Tell the devil hell no Tell the devil hell no I was a little embarrassed playing that. <laughs> you know, the first talk we talked about home and family. Second talk, talked about marriage and the need to forgive. Um, and now I'd like to take a, a, a closer look at uh, the love of Jesus and how it works in our lives and in our families. Uh, St. Augustine said that there's an order to love. Uh, how to love in order to maintain order in our lives. For those who are married, first we are meant to love God. You know, first commandment, love God and as ourselves. And then you are meant to love your spouse. And then if gifted with children, you're meant to love them. And then your blood families, your parents, that's the fourth commandment, then the brothers, your brothers and sisters, um, your in-laws, your neighbor, your friends, and also your enemies. Now, if you're not married, it's a slightly different order. 
It's God first, love God as yourself, and then your blood family, uh, your fellow disciples in the church, your neighbor, then your friends and your enemies. Uh, it's very important to maintain this order of love because if not, life can become imbalanced, uh, even hellish if the order of love is introverted. For example, if both husband and wife ignore God but make idols out of themselves, well, there's trouble. Or one or the other or both forget their spouse, idolizing their children, there's trouble. Or a husband loves mama or his buddies, uh, spending more time with them than his wife and children, certainly trouble. Or if parents love their children, you know, well, no, parents' love for their children cannot replace their prim primary relationship love with God and for each other. Those are just some examples. Uh, so when we love in the correct order, we realize that, uh, well, Jesus is the center of everything. And we have to love him more uh, than our spouse or our children and so on and so forth because he is God. And only loving him fulfills the first commandment, that we love God with our whole mind, heart, and strength. And we can only love our families to the extent that we love Jesus because we have to love them through him in order to maintain that order. He empowers us to love without fully counting the cost, just as he loves us. Um, in this, we must recognize the fact, I think I mentioned it uh, last night, that our Lord loves the members of our family even more than we do. And this is kind of hard for us to accept and understand, I think. It came to me uh, in a poignant way. I was in the Philippines, and uh, my mom had been suffering with cancer, and I was, you know, I don't know how many thousand miles away. You know, we'd go before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, you know, complaining to him, you know, Lord, here I am. I'm your priest, and I've given my life to you, and here I am. And, you know, my mom has cancer, and what's going on? And, you know, when I finally shut up, isn't that a great moment when we finally just be quiet? Well, um, you know, my, the Lord said something to me, and he, he doesn't speak to me very often. Usually he uses a two-by-four and slaps me upside the head until I get it. Um, but he was very gentle. He knew I was kind of fragile at that moment. And he said to me, you know, if the Lord speaks to you, words, locution, as they call them, it's very rare, but uh, you'll never forget it. You will never forget it. Well, you know, the words in your own head will, you know, you can easily forget those if you mistake them for the words of our Lord. But he said to me, um, don't you know that she is my mother too? And it really struck me, that's why my forehead is flat. <laughs> well, yes, Lord. Whoever listens to the word of God and puts it into practice is my mother and sister and brother, he said. So that's an important lesson for us, that our Lord is right there in the midst of our families, in the midst, 
you know, right there loving the ones we love even more than we do, and we have to remember that. And I think that's how we mature as Christians, is trusting in the love, the love of Jesus for ourselves and for others. Now I'd like to tell you a joke. You know, this is a warning ahead of time so that you laugh at the appropriate moment. Um, there was a first grade class after Christmas. Uh, the teacher brought them in, you know, before the epiphany and the, the, the three kings were there with their gifts, the statues. And so the kids each brought a gift for the baby Jesus, you know. And um, so they go marching into the church and one, one little girl brought him, you know, um, uh, a can of uh, corn. <laughs> Another little boy brought him a, uh, a little video game and, and so on and so forth. And the last little boy had this kind of big package. It was covered in brown paper and he was the last in the line, Johnny and he goes up and the teachers asked him, Johnny, what do you got in there? Why don't you take that, that uh, paper off? And so he did. And it was a statue of um, Christ the King. And the teacher said, well, why did you bring, you know, the baby Jesus, a statue of Christ the King? And Johnny answered, well, uh, I wanted Jesus to see what he would look like when he grows up. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that in the, in the time of our Lord, you know, some thought he was a rabbi, others a great teacher, a healer, a prophet, a martyr, a heretic. Uh, in modern times, some think that he's a revolutionary, a guru, a figment of the collective ma imagination, uh, the enlightened manifestation of the divine principle within you can tell what I think of those things. And yet, you know, Peter and Paul and Jesus himself told us quite clearly, he is the incarnate Christ. He is the son of the living God. By his life, miracles, death, and resurrection, the early Christians proclaimed the astounding truth that the Messiah had turned out to be not just a man sent by God, but God himself in human flesh. And this is the reality of our Lord's love in our midst. Now, one of the most prevalent and popular opinions about Jesus today is that he was merely a good man. You'll hear maybe even your own sons and daughters say that. You know, They learn that at college nowadays, I think. Even Catholic colleges. And the problem is, you know, he claimed to be God. Um, he claimed to demand all your love, loyalty, and worship. Now, C.S. Lewis has a beautiful passage about this in his great book, Mere Christianity. He wasn't a Catholic, but I think he was really darn close to being one. Uh, he wrote, A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman and something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being merely a great teacher or a good man. He has not left this open to us. He did not intend to. He did not intend to. So why did Jesus come? Well, simply stated, in John's first letter, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And what is the work of the devil? Sin. And that's why he died on the cross for us, for our sins. That's why St. Paul said he preaches only Christ crucified. We all sin. And sin is not a merely a psychological symptom or a, or a mistake that we make, but it's a free decision of our will to disobey, disobey God. And sin has consequences, suffering and death, eternal death even, in hell, if unrepented. So Jesus was incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary in order to offer his human body out of love on the cross in payment for our debt of sin. And he continues to free us from our sins primarily through the sacraments of the church. Father Gabriel Amorth, the famous exorcist of Rome, said that a good confession is better than an exorcism because it breaks all ties we've made with Satan by our sins. Jesus continues to free us from our sins. He continues to heal us of the wounds that we carry about in our sins. Have you ever noticed that in confession this, we confess the same sins over and over again? I know I do. Either we lack a firm resolve to amend our lives or there's something else going on. Every time we sin, or someone sins against us, we are wounded. And Jesus' forgiveness begins the process of healing, but the demons who are always on the prowl, watching us, who seek the ruin of souls, they are hanging around in order to attach themselves to our wounds. So the sin is forgiven, but many times the wound remains. And so we confess the sin over and over again, wondering why we keep sinning in the same way. It's because we have this wound that is provoking it, pushing us to react sinfully. For example, and this is an extreme one, an abused child wounded by the sin of an adult will many times react later in life promiscuously, suffering depression and anger and anxiety, sense of worthlessness, etc., now, we all have wounds, so I think it's safe to say we are all, to some extent or another, fighting a battle with evil. We call it spiritual combat. And the only way to fight that battle is with Jesus and in Jesus and through Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. Because the devil is much smarter than us. He's a pure spirit. He's much more astute than us. He's stronger than us. But the devil is insignificant compared to Jesus. When I was in Rome, I happened to assist at uh, five exorcisms uh, with Father Amorth. And I was the muscle. That in the days before, before my, the muscle of my arms moved to my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we would go to Mass, go to confession, 
And then he, the, these cases would come in, and me and another person, a guy, we would, if necessary, would hold the arms in case they got violent. And this priest, you know, it was not like Hollywood where, you know, the exorcists are like going, <sighs> no, he was like, Mr. Ladida. And I thought, wow, he's so calm, he's so peaceful. Of course Jesus has to leave. He was just, you know, he, there was absolute confidence that in the name of Jesus, these demons are frightened. They're, they're, they're afraid of him. They're afraid of the name of Jesus. They're afraid of, of invoking the presence of Our Lady and St. Michael and the saints and so on and so forth. And that's what I learned. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. We don't have to let the devil push us around. The devil is a liar from the beginning, Jesus said. And although he normally hides himself, he doesn't want you to know his plan for you. He nevertheless whispers lies in your ears constantly to discourage you, depress you, make you despondent. So you're tempted to doubt God's goodness and his love for you. All to the ultimate loss of your immortal soul. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus has defeated and destroyed the works of the devil. St. Paul said, every spirit above the earth, on the earth, and below the earth, they have to bend the knee at the name of Jesus. What does that mean, bend the knee? They have to obey. If it's a good spirit, well, they naturally obey in adoration, bending the knee. If it's a bad spirit, well, they won't adore, but they will run for the hills if in the name of Jesus you order them to leave you alone. Now they may come back, but at the name of Jesus, any evil spirits attached to our wounds or to our sinful habits or tendencies must bend the knee. They must leave. Verbalizing the authority of Jesus breaks the power of the devil's lies as well as the legal access to our life we have handed over to the evil one by our personal sins. So what are we to do? Well, you know, go to confession, of course. That's the first step. But with great trust and confidence to use the name of Jesus, to verbally renounce any and all of the devil's lies. This is how he, he tries to corral us and control us. In the name of Jesus, we must take authority over these evil spirits and send them packing. As Christians, this is our, our right and our inheritance. Renunciation in the name of Jesus is part of our heritage as believers and was part of the, the initiation process of baptism for the early Christians, the first RCIA program. <laughs> so what is publicly expressed at the Easter Vigil in the baptismal promises where we renounce the, 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 the evil of Satan and the seductions of the evil one and we, we uh, pronounce our faith, profess our faith in Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what the early Christians were doing. Um, all of that at the vigil was just a confirmation of what had been privately renounced in the, the scrutinies. Today, we still renounce Satan, his works, his empty promises, before professing our faith. And that's something that I would like to do with you this afternoon. 
We've been kind of going deeper and deeper. If uh, you pick up Neil Lozano's book, Unbound, he has a beautiful chapter on this. And it's very effective, I can tell you, from experience. By identifying and naming our enemies, our spiritual enemies, Jesus gives us power over them. So we're talking about identifying and renouncing sins, tendencies, attitudes that make us unfree, ingrained sinful patterns in our past or in our family, many times anything addicting or compulsive, anything that we realize in our life that we're, you know, we're always reacting to something instead of responding. Thus, by Christ's power, taking personal responsibility for how evil spirits have affected our lives, we cancel the enemy's plan for us and we experience the freedom of the sons and daughters of God. So, uh, with your permission, I'm going to lead you in, a, in another kind of sort of litany of liberation. Again, some of these things may pertain to you. Perhaps you've struggled with a few of them your whole life. Perhaps you have not. Others will pertain to others here in, in the assembly. But we can certainly support one another by doing this exercise together. So it's really in two parts. Uh, we make a renunciation of lies, and then we make a renunciation of the spirit of different things behind those lies. And then finally, we take authority over those spirits and send them away in the name of Jesus Christ. So why don't we try that today, and we'll ask our Lord and the Holy Spirit to help us and to give you the strength to, to do this exercise um, and let it be effective in your life. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen it work wonders in people's life where they feel that in renouncing these things and sending them packing, uh, they felt liberated in some way from something that had been uh, controlling them or pushing them or influencing them for many years. And so let's, let's think of it in, in that light. So, please, repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I don't belong. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I don't belong. I'll never amount to anything. I am a failure. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am worthless. I am unlovable. Something's wrong with me. In the name of Jesus, I am. I renounce the lie that I am unworthy. Nothing I say is important. Nobody cares about me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am a mistake. That things are always my fault. That I am a terrible person. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that God does not love me. 
that God does not forgive me. That God is punishing me. And that I've destroyed God's plan for my life. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am a victim. That I have to be perfect. That I am in control. That I can fix those I love. Okay, take a deep breath. There's a lot there, isn't it? Really a lot there. But we're going to go deeper still. So when you're out in the ocean and you go down for a dive, you come up, you have to take a deep breath again. Because what we're going to do now is renounce spirits that are attached to particular sins. Again, it may not pertain to you, but it may. And we're going to, we're going to do this exercise for everybody. Please repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anger, resentment, and bitterness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anger, resentment, and bitterness. Revenge, unforgiveness, and violence. Revenge, unforgiveness, and Pride, rebellion, disobedience. Perfectionism, superiority, and argumentativeness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of insecurity, fear, and shyness. Self-pity, inadequacy, and timidity. Rejection, abandonment, and loneliness. Fatherlessness, hurt, and feeling unwanted. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of the fear of rejection, judgment, and self-condemnation. Fear of rejection, judgment, and self-condemnation. Control, anxiety, and worry. Confusion, self-doubt, frustration. Shame, guilt, humiliation. Worthlessness, self-blame, self-hatred. Isolation, escape, withdrawal. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of masturbation, pornography, and selfish sexual pleasure. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of masturbation, pornography, and selfish sexual pleasure. Jealousy, selfishness, and greed. Suicide, abortion, and death. Depression, self-pity, and hopelessness. Discouragement, despair, and hurt. Self-protection, independence, and willfulness. Doubt, unbelief, and distrust. 
In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of laziness, weariness, and sloth. Grief, sorrow, and sadness. Poverty, failure, hopelessness. Addictions, alcoholism, and drugs. Lust, fornication, adultery. Rape, incest, and perversion. The victim identity, powerlessness, and helplessness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of homosexuality, lesbianism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of spiritualism, the Ouija board, palm reading, Spiritualism, Ouija board, palm reading, tarot cards, horoscopes, and the occult. Okay, take another deep breath. So now, what we're going to do is, by these renunciations, basically what you're saying is, uh, I'm really done with all that. If there's anything that did pertain to you, I'm done with it. It means that by your own will, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're taking your life back. You're making no place for sin or deception or darkness. It means standing firm with Jesus, as St. Paul counseled us to do. So now, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of you all, I'm going to take authority over these things. As a child of God, you also have this authority, and you can do just what we did right now. Uh, repeating it whenever is necessary. In the name of Jesus, you can make a stand against your spiritual enemies who have sought to rob you of your hope. So, for example, uh, tomorrow, let's say you're battling anxiety and fear, and you recognize that your anxiety and fear in a particular situation is taking hold of you again. So you say, to, you know, out loud, not necessarily in front of anybody, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of fear. And now, this is the next part. And I'm going to extend my hands over you and take authority for all of you. And you can also do this for yourself. In the name of Jesus, I now take authority and command every spirit that you have renounced to leave you right now. Amen. Amen. And that's what you can do. After you renounce the spirit or a lie, you can say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over these spirits and I send them away right now. Amen. And you can have complete confidence. Now, they may come back trying to make you think that they're more powerful than they are. Uh, but just remember, you know, that uh, no one is more powerful than our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a beautiful story in her autobiography of St. Therese who saw a vision of these little furry, ugly little beings rolling around around her bed and, and, and scratching and, and making strange noises. And all of a sudden she realized they were demons. And either out of curiosity or whatever, she went kind of after them. And they ran away. 
They were so afraid of her. And that's what she realized. Oh, they're afraid of me. And that's what I'd like you to remember, you know. You don't have to be pushed around by these things. As Christian women, as Christians, you have the authority in the name of Jesus to stand firm and, and to fight them and to uh, rid yourselves of these tendencies that you have that the evil spirits want, want uh, to ruin you with. Amen? Amen. So let's conclude with a, another blessing of St. Paul. This one's from Galatians 1, verses 1 to 4. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.